church, we are uniquely positioned today on this 4th of July to spend this morning in God's house. Let us celebrate his freedom, church. His freedom is true freedom. It is everlasting. It is available to every heart here, every son and daughter. As we choose to worship you in this day, God.
seat at the table, Lord. Forsaken, I am who you say I am. 
you would come down and offer this gift, Father, for your love for the world is so great. Yes. Yes, God, we are here to hear our hearts. Yes, your greatness cannot be measured, God. Thank you for your love. We tell them, church. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe. Yes, we proclaim your greatness, God. And sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Yes, then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art. Sings my soul, my Savior 
This is a day where we celebrate the independence of this country. But God, we declare our dependence on you. How we need you, Jesus. How the world needs Jesus, God. The brokenhearted, the lost, the wandering, they're all your sons and daughters. Father, let them see Jesus. Let them see Jesus in our daily walk. Let us be your representatives, God, here on this earth. How we need you, how we need you. Yes, Father, we thank you so much for this gift that's so freely given, the gift of your grace, the gift of your son, Jesus, whose body was broken for us. Father, we thank you. We worship you for that. Let us not lose sight of the significance of your grace. And Father, we make this our declaration. We know who we are sons and daughters of a living God, we make it our promise to worship you for all our days till the day when you return, Christ Jesus. And we wait eagerly with anticipation for that day. There'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more division. We've had enough of division, God. Let us embrace all that you are, Jesus, the ultimate uniter. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you in your house, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church so significant, so powerful to worship this amazing God. Well, hey, happy 4th of July to you. Let's welcome each other in God's house as family. Turn to your neighbor and ask them what they're uh, grilling up tonight for dinner. Yeah.
On the day we celebrate our nation's birth, we place our faith in you. You are the one who gives us freedom. You have endowed us with inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And may we pursue you with the passion that you first pursued us. As we celebrate our great nation, we remember the sacrifice and turmoil that this country was born out of and that continues to shape us today. We know that you are not done here. We know that we are far from perfect, and we know that you have a plan. We pause to remember that you are our God, and we are the people of your pasture. Help our country turn toward you. Bring revival to this nation. Give our leaders clear vision and sober minds. Bring peace and justice to our schools and unite us all as brothers and sisters. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and come quickly. May peace and prosperity come to your children living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, thanks for being here this morning uh, on this 4th of July. Hope you guys have some awesome plans uh, for tonight and this afternoon. My name is Josh. Real quick, I got some announcements for you. I'm the youth pastor here. On Oh, sweet. Uh, honored and blessed to, to serve our students. We have some awesome students. But hey, just to dive into some announcements, uh, this Thursday night, the 8th at 6.30, there will be a women's uh, worship night. Sorry, fellas, not for you, just for the ladies. Uh, Debbie McCracken, she's here somewhere. She's heading that, I think. I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to say that. Uh, but Debbie will be leading that. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to contact her. That'll be at 6.30. Um, and then secondly, um, we have our uh, kids camp, our middle school camp, and our high school camp coming up very, very quickly. Um, the cutoff date to sign up for kids camp and for middle school camp is actually this coming Wednesday, but there are still spots available. Um, so if you are interested in that, uh, feel free to connect with me for middle school camp or um, Pastor Allison for kids camp. Uh, we have a second camp for youth, a uh, high school camp, which is in two weeks. There's still time to sign up for that for another week. Um, and since I have the microphone right now, I can say this. I am looking for one or two more lady leaders for high school camp. Um, if you are interested, love to have you join the team. It's going to be awesome. Come talk to me. That would be sick. Um, and then lastly, if you are looking um, to get connected here at MRCC in any way whatsoever, um, feel free to check out our website, our mrccnow.org, for more information. Thanks, guys. Uh, we have Pastor Darius in the house sharing the word in his shorts on the 4th of July. Uh, give it up for Darius. <laughs> I was going to wear shorts, but then I wanted to look like every dad who's going to grill today. So this is my every dad who's going to grill today outfit. Hey, uh, let's do something really quick. Can we just pray one more time for the country today and just, just do that together as a congregation? The video was really amazing. But Jesus, thank you so much that you love us. And God, we thank you this morning that you don't love us because we are Americans. You love us because we are your creation and we are your children. So, God, this uh, morning, we, we, we just respond to that love, and we pray this, God. 
We pray that people from every side of the political spectrum would respond to your love this year. We pray that people in every place and every ideal and every ideology, people that agree with us and don't agree with us, people that like America and don't, God, that, that in this country where we are free to talk about our faith in you, that in this place, God, you would be higher than our national interest, that you would be higher than our care for anything, and that your power, your presence, your love, and your gospel message, that you're here to save, ransom, and redeem lost and broken sinners like us, that that would be the highest, highest of all of our values this year. God, we thank you for this country. We pray for it, for peace through the name of Jesus. In your name, everybody said amen. 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 My name is Darius. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, MRCC, it's still, I've been here for, uh, I've been here for a, almost a year, not quite, and it's still, every time I'm going to say the church that we're at, I almost say the wrong name, because it still feels that new, so uh, I'm happy to be here this morning. Um, I've been here, like I said, for about 10 months, just want to make sure I cover all my bases. My wife also goes to church here. We've been married for 10 years, which means I kept, yeah. And, uh, and you're here with us this morning, which means you are a Christian that doesn't have anything to do on the 4th of July. So <laughs> we're going to turn, we're in a message series we've been preaching uh, in a message series called The Magnificent Seven. And it's called that because we've been talking about seven different what we call minor prophets in the Old Testament of the Bible. Minor prophets, and, and that just means they're these um, lesser known, um, less long, uh, less, um, l- again, less well known prophets, and they were even less well known during their time. But the cool thing is that God takes things that man looks at and sees as small and insignificant, and He even includes these prophets and what he says through them in scripture to remind us that any tiny bit of God's word is not too small to have a significant impact in the world and on my life, which is good. So Nahum, Nahum is the name of the prophet. Uh, You're just going to have to flip through those prophets like between Isaiah and Malachi. You'll find them somewhere in there. Nahum, we're going to jump into that this morning. Um, If you go to Nahum chapter 1, actually, and and if you can't find it, that's okay if you're not there yet. Uh, But if you do get there, you can can look at it as I read it. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Then I'm going to breathe really loudly a bunch into the microphone like that. Sounds like thunder. I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. I'm going to read a small excerpt from each chapter. There's three chapters of Nahum. We'll start with this one, and we'll jump into this. This is a really cool book of the Bible, actually. As I got more into it, more and more and more, I realized how much I love this book of the Bible. So anyway, we'll go there together. Uh, In Nahum chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6, it says this. It says, He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. We're talking about the Lord. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before the indignation of God? This is just wanted to encourage everyone this morning. Who can stand before the indignation of God? 
Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. That's Nahum chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. The, the theme overall of the book of Nahum is the wrath of God. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, this word that, that we use for wrath of God is uh, the Hebrew word in nakam. Uh, I'm sure that there's some Hebrew scholar out there that would correct that, but uh, it, it, that's how I would pronounce it. It's nakam, nakam. And uh, the word nakam, actually, as we're um, celebrating the 4th of July, or as I like to call it, Captain America Day, <clears throat> is the word nakam actually means to avenge. That's what the word wrath means. As we talk about the wrath of God and the story of Nahum, and specifically, very, very explicitly, for the book of Nahum, this, this theme of avenging is very powerful. And we'll jump into why in a moment. But I, I just want to take us back here to Nahum chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, in some of the terrifying things that it said, because the wrath of God is awesome. The wrath of God is awesome. I don't mean like super, super cool, although everything about God is super, super cool, so you could say that. But what I mean is that it inspires awe. Uh, every year my wife does this. Every year my wife shows me this video that pops up like on her Facebook feed. And she shows it to me because she knows like how much it affects me and she likes to like watch me and laugh at me like while well, I get really affected by this stupid video. And um, I, I have always wanted... Uh, a specific type of pet. Do you ever have like like something that you want and it's it's kind of like a strange thing, but it's like a little niche thing and everyone knows. I've always wanted a specific type of pet and it's not like a small pet. It's not a, it's not a lizard or like a special kind of dog. Um, I've always wanted like a lion or a tiger. Not just because Mike Tyson has one, although that is... Uh, that's a good reason. I just think, like, to me, there's nothing more majestic than big cats. There's nothing more majestic than big cats. And every year, uh, once a year, it's, I don't know, it's like an anniversary present to me, but the Facebook will remind Brittany about this video, and she'll pull up the video, and she'll show it to me on her phone or her iPad. And uh, it's Brittany, Brittany, my wife, and it's this video of this guy who raised this lion cub and released it into captivity. And the video is the reunion of this dummy running into a pride of lions. And you just see him run into the midst of all these lions. And they start putting their hands on his shoulders and like cuddling him and playing with him and licking him. And I'm like, that's my dream. That's where I want to be in life is that, like, can I live there? The reason that I think that I want a lion or a tiger for a pet. You know why? It's because of stupid zoos. You've been to one of those stupid zoos? It's where you can experience the danger and thrill of meeting a lion with none of the danger and thrill of meeting a lion. And what has happened is, in my personal experience, I've observed lions and tigers and big jungle cats. I've observed them in a safe, confined way. And I've thought, this is something that I want to have for a pet. And I've lost all the necessary respect that I should have for lions and tigers. If I were to meet one in person, that would change immediately, right? 
If I were to meet one in person, all of a sudden there would be this huge shift, and I would say, I'm totally cool without a lion or a tiger. If there was no glass between us, no zookeeper there, just us, I'm sure, like, immediately. We have to be careful, because if, if we're not, we will, in our heart, turn God from the lion of Judah that the Bible says he is, the, the, the God who is both Wonderful and loving and awful and terrible and awesome and inspiring and dangerous. And we'll turn that God in our heart into something that he is not. We'll turn him into a house cat. And to us, if we're not careful, one of the things that we see here in Nahum is that if we're not careful and we only encounter God in in like a fluffy, God will do whatever I want kind of way. Or if we begin to treat God like a vending machine. Or if I, I begin to treat God like he should, be, he should be subject to my prayers. I have lots of prayers like that. Prayers where I essentially am saying, God, can't you fix this for me? God, wouldn't it be better if you did things this way? You know what you don't say to a lion when you're on his turf? Wouldn't it be better if you did things this way? Just like one paw. And you're just shredded to pieces. The reason that's important is this, because our, our study of Scripture should actually deepen and, and, and embolden and enrich our love for God. Not just our fear of God, but a, a loving fear and awe of God. The reason that's important is this, is it's important to remember that God is bigger than a pet to you and to me. If we've got to a place where God is stale to us, or we've got to a place where God is boring to us, or we've got to a place where God has really lost a lot of his power and meaning to us, I want to encourage us this morning that God is bigger, stronger, more powerful, more awesome, more awe-inspiring, more dangerous. And you really, maybe one of the reasons that we become bored as Christians is we've left the dangerous call of God for a safe house cat call of God. But the call of God in my life to, to, to pursue and to obey God should be a dangerous call. It should cost me something. Like hanging out with a lion would cost me a limb or a face. The call of God, maybe it should be costing me something in my life. Maybe it, sh maybe it should cost me some of the money that I don't want to let go of. Maybe it should cost me some of the comfort that I don't want to let go of. Maybe it should cost me some of the freedom that I don't want to let go of if I'm really following the dangerous, awesome, awe-inspiring Lion of Judah. Those three things, my money, my comfort, my freedom, those are the holy trinity of being American. <laughs> None of those things are bad. Being comforted is a good thing. The, the word Nahum, the name Nahum, you know what it means? It means comfort. God's comfort is a great and beautiful thing. And we should be comforted. It, it's like, I, I'm a nerd, so I don't know if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia. They're really books for children. But C.S. Lewis, who wrote them, uh, was a profoundly inspired Christian. And God gave him a gift to write. And he writes a story for children. And, and this, the, the heroic figure of the story is, is a lion named Aslan. And, and Aslan is this Christ figure throughout the story. He dies. He comes back to life. He's, he's involved in creation. He's a salvific, a, sal a salvation figure. And there's an encounter that, that the kids have with the lion. And the lion, Aslan, he leaves. And the children are, are, are questioning people. Why is he not always where I want him to be when I want him to be there? 
And the response is, Aslan is a good lion, but he's not a tame lion. And it's good to us that our God is a good God, but not a tame God. Amen. Our God is a good God, but he's not someone who answers our wish list. He's a God that comes into our life to bring salvation and freedom and comfort. The power of God is comforting in our life, in my life. But it should also be something that we allow to be bigger than just a pet relationship. The really cool thing about Nahum is, is the second thing that we see in Nahum is not, not only that is God's wrath awesome, but God's wrath is against our enemies. I love this about Nahum. So God's wrath is against our enemies. Uh, in, in Nahum chapter 2, verse 13, here's what scripture says. Nahum chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Behold, I am against you. God here is talking to a city called Nineveh. You've heard of Nineveh. We'll come around to that in a second. It says, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will burn your chariots in smoke. This is great. And the sword shall devour your young lions. First Peter tells us that um, the enemy of our soul, the devil, he roams around, not as a roaring lion, but like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is one of the great, one of the great schemes of the enemy is that he wants to appear to have the power and awe of God, but he only can imitate it. What God says here to Nineveh is God says, you think that you've got power, you think that you've got lions, I'll come in as a lion and I will devour all of your lions. That's a Facebook video I'd pay money to see. <laughs> Sounds terrible, actually. He says, I will devour your young lions, I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. So the background of the book of Nahum is this. It's actually really cool. Nahum is a, a minor prophet, small. His name is only mentioned in the book that he writes. <laughs> a lot of us want to be remembered. Uh, Nahum is only remembered by himself. <laughs> and Nahum writes his book. His name means comfort. He writes the book in about a um, hundred years after the prophet Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh has a great revival. If you remember the end of the story of the prophet Jonah, Jonah is sent by God to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah's like, no God, no thank you. Nineveh's a bad place. Uh, imagine Yakima. And so, <laughs> I'm from Yakima, so I get to say that. He says, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm not interested in Nineveh. God, he goes out of his way to make sure Jonah has to go to Nineveh. And what Jonah says is, like, God, these are the worst people. <laughs> I don't know if you ever think that about, like, people in your life. These are the worst people. The worst people literally, like themselves, but also the worst kind of people. The people that have bumper stickers that make you angry. They're just the worst and God sends Jonah to Nineveh, and Nineveh, being the center of the Assyrian Empire, so one of the most backwards and in the center of this bullying empire, that's what Nineveh is, they experience a great revival. A hundred years later, that revival has died out. And Nineveh and Assyria, Assyria, again, they are 
a huge bully to the people of the, there's the divided kingdom at this point in time, and the people of Judah, one of God's two divided kingdoms, the people of Judah are being bullied by the Assyrians. They're being invaded by the Assyrians. They're being pushed over by the Assyrians. Their faith's being put in the dirt by the Assyrians. Sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally. Their prophets are being chased down and murdered by the Assyrians. The kings are being bought out and corrupted by the Assyrians. The, the Ninevites in the, as the center of the Assyrian Empire, they're just like this, they're like this figure of what a bully looks like and and Nahum comes in and his name means comfort and Nahum in about 640 BC 640 years before Christ Nahum comes and says you know what guys don't forget that our God is a scary God don't forget that our God is a scary God and he'll take care of our enemies in Nineveh you're gonna get what's coming to you uh, I one time was in I was in line. We used to do like this Black Friday thing. I feel like the, the wave of the Black Friday of Thanksgiving thing has kind of like waned quite a bit. But when I was like 18, you like camped out to go shopping for Black Friday. This is before people started like getting trampled to death. So it was still cool. And um, me and my best friend Jesse, we grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. So uh, we were always trying to make a quick buck. So we're standing in line for Best Buy. And on Black Friday, and we're out there from like midnight to like 4 or 5 a.m. We're just like standing out there in the frigid Yakima cold, waiting to go into Best Buy. And we're talking to ourselves stupidly about the scheme that we've hatched. And the scheme that we've hatched is we're going to go into Best Buy, and what they do at this point in time is they'd give out coupons to the first 100 people in the door, and you could take the coupons and redeem them for the deal. So there'd be a coupon for a $100 60-inch TV, right? And so you'd take the coupon. Well, what we'd, what we'd learned is a friend of ours the previous year had gone, got those coupons, sold them to someone for like $200, and that person still got a TV 50% off, so it was a win-win. He made 200 bucks just by like standing in line for a coupon, and we were like, 200 bucks? I've never seen 200 bucks in my life. Can't imagine to forget a million dollars. I would, I would go on a game show to win $200. Who is Napoleon Bonaparte? That's my answer for every Jeopardy question. Anyway, and so... We're there and we're hatching this, this scheme and we're talking about it and the guy in front of us for some reason gets livid. And he's like, I can't believe you guys are here to scam and rip off people. And we were like, hey, we're just here to scam and rip off people. And we're, we're just innocently trying to make a buck. Mostly innocently. Well, my friend Lance just happened, we randomly ran into him. He happened to be in line behind us. My friend Lance, I, I was like a scrawny 18-year-old kid. Lance was a six foot four, 240 pound football player who had graduated, gone, gone off to WSU to do whatever, and had get, gotten even taller and more broad and more muscular in the two years he'd been away at school. So we connected with him. He's standing in line behind us. The people in front of us turned around and they started chewing at, like, there was, there was this guy who was maybe in his mid 20s, and he was just like angry and he was getting in our face. And we're like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. We're just here to get some coupons. And I'll never forget, Lance, like, kind of, like, scoots us aside with his giant hand. And says for it, he goes, is there a problem here? <laughs> and after he scoops me aside, I, like, come up behind him, and I'm like, yeah, is there a problem here or what? <laughs> There's, like, so much confidence in that moment. 
That's the way the Israelites feel about Assyria in this moment. Is the Assyrians have been bullying them. They're getting in their face. They're pushing them in the dirt. And Nahum comes and says, guys, I want to comfort you. Our God will not let stand in justice. Our God's a God of justice. He's the first avenger. He's a God of vengeance and wrath. And if you think for one minute that the Assyrians are going to beat us, you've got another thing coming. And this is where this hits the, like, hits the pavement today. Is for us, God's wrath is for our enemy, the devil. It's not for people who disagree with our political party. It's not for people who are part of this world and have done awful, atrocious things. God's wrath is for our enemy, the devil, Satan himself. It says in Scripture that in the end, Jesus will throw our enemy, the devil, into the lake of fire. And he'll face eternal punishment because Jesus is for us. It's, it's Jesus that comes with David when David shows up with like a lunchbox to bring lunch to his brothers. And it's David that goes to fight Goliath, and it's Jesus that shows up in that moment and says, I will not let a bully come against my people. It's Jesus when cancer wants to bring the end of hope to us that says, I will not let my people lose hope over a sickness. It's Jesus that comes in the face of marriage problems that says, I will not let the enemy have the last word in this marriage because they might not be able to fight, but I'm here for them. It's Jesus who comes when a child is sick or hurting or lost or far from God. It's Jesus that steps in when the enemy says, you've got nothing left. I'm the bully and you can't do anything about it. It's Jesus that steps in front of us and says, I've got the last word here. I've got the final say here. You can't come against my people no matter how big the problem is or how strong the enemy is. My wrath is for the enemy of my people. And that's our God. That's our God. That's our Jesus. I don't know what your bully in your life is. I don't know who your Nineveh or your Assyria is. But Jesus is here today to stand for you and say enough is enough. Jesus is here to stand for you in the face of addiction and say enough is enough. Jesus is here to stand for you in the face of mental health problems and say enough is enough. You might be sick, but you will not lose hope because I am hope and my name is Jesus. Jesus is here to stand against the enemy of your soul, the, the roaming, the one who walks around like a roaming lion, seeking who he may devour. And Jesus says, not on my watch. I'll devour every lion that comes after you. That's our God. The third thing and the final thing is this, is that God's wrath was for us. Numbers chapter 3, verse 19, it says it this way. It says, there is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? I, I don't know about you, but I love... And, and I tend to love seeing other people reap the consequences of their mistakes. It's always nice when you see somebody else get pulled over, somebody else lose money, and you're like, God, thank God it wasn't me. It's always nice to see somebody else who's got it worse than you or who didn't make it as good as you. And maybe, maybe it really is just me, but it, it, it I think, is part of human nature that we tend to 
feel good when other people have not done as well. It's just part of our competitive nature. When I was a, when I was a kid, I got I, there was a lot of bullies in school, and I moved around a lot. So when you move around, there's like the barrel, you know, and the bottom of the barrel is like weirdos and losers. And if you lift the barrel up and you move it under there, there's new kids. That was just like you have to cl- you have to you know f- you have to climb from there. And uh, and I remember thinking, you know, like there are still things I think about that that still I struggle with. I think, man, if I could go back in time, as like a grown man, I'd punch that little kid in the face. <laughs> Wouldn't even feel bad about it. You know, after years of working with teenagers, what I learned is. Most of the time, when I want to see a a bully get their comeuppance, they've already been dealing with more hurt than I know. And that that doesn't condone it. I'm not trying to say like, hey, tell your kids, let bullies punch them. That's not what I mean. What I do mean is, for us, in our perspective, sometimes we want God's wrath on other people. You know, I used, I used to really, really have no compassion for people with mental health problems. As a matter of fact, most of the time, I couldn't identify someone with a mental health problem. I would see like a homeless person, and I would think, why on earth would they be living out here in the street? What a, what a dumb thing to do. And then when I started wrestling with my own mental health problems and having to seek God's healing in that, my perspective changed a ton. All of a sudden, I wanted to sit down and talk with people who lived on the street. I wanted to hear their story. I wanted to find out what they'd been through. What what we have to realize reading Nahum here is that God's wrath, in the same way that it was stored up for Nineveh, God's wrath is deserved by us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, it says this, 3 through 5, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespass made us alive with Christ, by grace you've been saved. The realization that we have to come to and make is that you and I, we deserve God's wrath, we deserve his judgment. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm telling you, I, I, I was having a conversation this week with somebody at the camp that I was at. Which, by the way, it was such an amazing week. So many, I was at campus last week. If you didn't know, I, I went to an, help another church speak for their camp. And man, God moved. The Spirit moved. The young man who specifically came and in, in, um, had a conversation with me said five years ago, his, uh, his father had abandoned him and his grandfather had died and he was playing a hockey game. He's a hockey player. He's playing a hockey game. He won the game-winning goal. They finished the hockey game. They went back to the locker room. He was on a high and they 
family told me his grandfather had died. And he said, that was the day that I knew that I didn't want God in my life. And he said, today, because of what God's done in my life at camp, I can say today I'm ready to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. And that's just one story. There's so many. Anyway, I was talking with a guy at the camp I was at this week. And we were talking about theology. And we were talking about there's, there's a group of people that... Um, the group of thoughts called annihilationism and it's this idea that in in the end judgment in the end judgment um, when God judges everyone that essentially there will be no eternal judgment there will be no eternal wrath uh, there will just be there will just be nothing God will annihilate anyone so they don't have to they just they'll be done they'll know it they're not they'll not exist and I said you know I if that's what God wants to do, that's totally up to him. I said, the only thing that I know is whenever I talk to people and we talk about heaven and hell, you believe something crazy about heaven or something crazy about hell, and it, it doesn't contradict the doesn't contradict the Savior Jesus. You know, I'm not that bad out of shape about it. I said what I what I encounter though is I encounter people who say, Well, there can't be any any real wrath of God because people don't deserve that. And I was like, I so where I get off the train. Not because of you, not because of them, not because of the, uh, the rapist or the pedophile, not because of the human trafficker, but because in my heart, I know that I do not deserve eternal relationship with God. I know that I don't. In my heart, I know that, that I am responsible, like the rest of us, for evil in our society. I'm responsible, like the rest of us, for things that we do that are wrong. I'm responsible personally for the ways that I've hurt people. I'm responsible personally for the moment. You know, any moment that I create a fantasy world in my head, regardless of the reason, what I do is I dethrone God and I say, God, wouldn't it be better if things were my way? That might be the worst sin known to man. That in my mind, I actually say, Jesus, it would be better if you were dead and I were in control. I know that I don't deserve eternal relationship with God. The scripture says this. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It should do two things in my life. The first thing it should do is this. It should, it should enrich my love of God. That I do not deserve God, but he loves me anyway. And all of his power and glory and might and majestic awesomeness, this terrifying lion of Judah, that he chose me. The second thing it should do is it should transform the way that I see other people. I shouldn't want wrath for anyone else because I've been spared from wrath myself. I shouldn't want judgment for anyone else because I've been spared judgment from God. Because in the moment I needed it most, Jesus became flesh and blood. He became a human like me. Hebrews 2.18, it says he knows what it means to suffer because he has, been, he has suffered from temptation like us. Meaning Jesus faced all of my temptation for me and beat the temptation that I could not beat. He faced everything that I had to face. He dealt with everything that I had to deal with. I told this young man who was talking to me at camp about being abandoned by his father and I said, you know, I don't... I might not know how you feel. And everyone might not know how you feel, but I said, you know, Jesus knows how you feel. Because in the moments that he was on the cross, 
Scripture says he cried, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Because a separation had to take place. And Jesus experienced even, even the feeling of abandonment from his father. Not because there was an imperfection in God, but because there was a perfect sacrifice being made. That Jesus would know intimately every pain and hurt that we experience from our sin. Jesus chose to know me and my hurt and understand me and have compassion for me. Cool, the least that I could do is enter a world where I would say, I don't care about your sexual orientation. I don't care about your expression. I don't care about your political belief. I don't care about how, what, how dumb I think your ideas are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it to. In the end, I want God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion for you because we're in the same sinking boat in need of a Savior, Jesus, who's a life raft to shore. So today, this morning, there's two ways for us to respond. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 55 says it this way. It's beautiful. It says, Then the, imper- or the perishable will put on imperishability. The mortal will put on immortality. And then it can be fulfilled what was written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's Jesus taunting the bully. Death, you think you've got victory? I don't see it anywhere. Death, you think you've got a sting? I don't see it anywhere because I'm in charge here. If you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and bow your head with me this morning. Here's the way that I believe that God is calling us to respond today. The first thing is this. If you're in this room and you're facing your own Nineveh, your own Assyria, the enemy in your life trying to tell you who you are, like the song says, oh, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I know who my protector and defender is. That's you this morning. And there's something that you're facing that you need Jesus to stand in for you. Would you just lift up your hand? I just want to pray with you this morning. I want to believe God this morning. I, w- I want you to be able to respond and say, yes, Jesus, I need a Savior today. Yeah, I see hands going up. I'm praying this morning. Second thing is this. If you're in this place and you've been in any way someone who's been discompassionate about other people's judgment or discompassionate about other people's hurt and you want to say, Jesus, I want to remember today that like me, everyone else needs your compassion. If you need God's compassion to more fully fill your life this morning. Would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. My hand is up. I need Jesus to make me compassionate. Yeah. Hands up all over the room. Jesus, thank you this morning for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. We pray this morning that you would transform our hearts. God, we pray that you would give us hope. Give us Nahum. Bring wrath on the enemy of our soul, God. Bring your vengeance, God. Not the vengeance of man that's spiteful and malicious, but the vengeance of God that's full of goodness, that's full of righteousness. 
God, fill us with compassion this morning that we would walk into a world that's in need of a Savior and we would see hurting people and love them the way that you love us. In Jesus' name. Everybody this morning said amen. Hey, happy 4th of July. Grill some hot dogs. Grill some burgers. Spend time with your family. We'll see you next week.